yoga teachers, mindfulness leaders, and energy workers. Are you ready to stop side hustling and start making an income doing what you love? Welcome to the Marketing Off The Mat Podcast. Each week, your host, Jessica Cross, dives into conversations with successful creatives in wellness, business, marketing, and more to uncover practical methods to take your business from A to B and have some fun along the way. Grab some tea and pull up a seat. Let's dive into this episode. Welcome back to the show. It's Jess, and this is Marketing Off the Mat. I'm so glad that you're here and that we get to hang out with the incredible Angie Franklin today. So Angie is an incredible human. She is a business mentor. She is also the founder of Afro Yoga, and she is a global yoga teacher with local roots who offers yoga with a social justice lens and emphasizes on community connection. She's a wellness entrepreneur, a certified comedic yoga and vinyasa yoga teacher, and her work is focused on increasing access to wealth and wellness for practitioners and professionals of color. She is also a three-time Lululemon ambassador and has worked with clients that includes the NBA, international Lululemon leadership teams, Microsoft, Duolingo, Kaiser Permanente, Rebel, and so many more. She generously shares from her lens that she helps companies revolutionize their message and being inclusive for all. And I think it is so important as business owners, especially in the wellness and yoga space, that we are taking a critical lens and looking at ourselves as well in the messaging that we're putting out, the people that step into our classes, and how we can open our arms a bit wider and embrace the incredible diversity and amazingness that this yoga community has and continue can can continue to grow in. So I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Let's take a listen to this episode with Angie Franklin. Hey, Angie, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. How you doing? I'm so good. Thank you. Thanks for being here and taking the time. Yeah, I'm excited to to be chatting with you today. Me too. So we heard a little bit about you in the intro, but I know that's just, you know, very light scratch of the surface. So mm. tell us a little bit more about you. Tell us about your yoga journey. Everybody's got a yoga story. And I'd love to know a little bit about how that brought you to where you are today. Oh, man. Uh, an oldie but goodie. It's true. Everyone <laughs> does have a yoga story. Um, well, I guess I'll start with saying that, pardon me, my mom growing up was very spiritual. And, um, you know, I was very familiar with like, I was using gemstones in like fifth grade, you know, meditating with gemstones in like fifth grade and just aware of, of a lot of things that in those early times. Um, and fast forward later on in life, when I found yoga, I felt like it was the physical embodiment equivalent of a lot of the spiritual practices that I had studied over the years. So it was really beautiful because where a lot of, a lot of spiritual studies can be um, non-physical, like maybe it's a little bit more mental or intellectual if you're studying or even ethereal and very spiritual if you're like, you know, really in your zone meditating. Um, yoga really allowed me to come into my body, which was something that's powerful for me as a person who has a tendency to overthink. Um, so I really enjoyed that. Um, and in 20, ooh, I don't know, 
14, perhaps. Um, I was born in Madrid. So my dad was military Air Force. I was born in Madrid. I came to the States when I was seven. Um, and later on in life, I decided to go back and spend some time back in Spain. So I moved back abroad and I just had a really challenging time finding my community, finding it just was difficult. It was a very difficult time. And I had a difficult time connecting with folks, even though I was from there. Um, so I I actually fell into a pretty deep depression at that time. And I really didn't reach out or talk to any about anybody about it because I just felt embarrassed about it. Like I felt embarrassed about where I where I was. Um, and I didn't really reach out for help. Um, so I was just kind of in it, stuck and feeling very, um, you know, like paralyzed. Like if you've ever been in, um, in a depression, it's not something that has a lot of movement involved. It's very stagnant. (laughs) So I was really stagnant for a long time and I ended up coming across a documentary, um, called Awake about Paramahansa Yogananda. If you are not familiar with Paramahansa Yogananda, you should be if you practice yoga. Uh, one of the great Indian sages of the of the East that came, one of the primarily responsible people for popularizing yoga in the West um, from the 1920s on. Way ahead of his time in so many ways, what wrote a great book, Autobiography of a Yogi. It's a like a rite of passage, I feel like, if you practice, if you're if you're in this in this practice. Um, and so I got really inspired and I left out that I <laughs> took yoga in college to not have to walk around a track four times. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you, if you know, you know, right. <laughs> um, and so I, I took that instead as, as my elective and I actually failed yoga the first time. So it's like, how do you fail yoga? I know guys, it was, it was a mess. I was a mess at the time. And I had like, you know, this dude who had studied in India and he was really about it when the door shut, the door shut. And I was just, you know, I wasn't there with it at that time. Um, I did retake it and I passed everyone. So sigh of relief. Um, and so when I fast back forward to that time in Spain, I started to practice a little bit of yoga that I knew. So that, that documentary really inspired me, reminded me of my spiritual like origins, you know, in terms of the things I had studied and know. And I just, I started to feel more like this is not a forever, this is a temporary space that you're in. So I slowly started to get myself out of there. And again, movement is something that's not synonymous with depression. So to, to start to move my body again and practice the little sun salutations and things that I learned from my college classes uh, was really powerful for me. And it, it started to, to move some things around, as we know, like we store emotions and all kinds of things in the body. So to move my body, just, it just felt good. Um, and then I decided shortly after that I would come back to the States and I did, I ended up, uh, coming back to Sacramento, back to California, my home hometown, second hometown. And a, a, a friend of mine took me to, or invited me to like a hot yoga class. It's my first time in a hot yoga class. Now we're like, it's like 2015 or so I, I could say. And I was like, whoa, like uh, I, I, I had such a transcendental experience. I remember being in the class and, um, you know, it's hot in there. Everyone's sweating. The room is packed. Um, Pre-COVID times, obviously. And um, there was some sort of challenging balancing pose. I don't know if it was a dancer or something. And I can't remember exactly what the instructor said, but it was something around this idea of like surrendering and just like allowing and 
not needing to be perfect. And if you fall, you fall. And, you know, and I just remember in that pose feeling so, so free, so unhinged, like truly in that, maybe it was a glimpse at somebody, like a glimpse at what really like an over encompassing bliss feels like. I felt like I was there myself, but I also felt that I was there with the group. It was it was a powerful moment. And I left that class that day um, really recognizing that there is something more beyond the physical practice of yoga here. And, you know, I started coming all the time and I was like, I, you know, I still love, I'm so sucked for hot yoga. I love a hot yoga class. Um, and, you know, I ended up uh, kind of falling ass backwards into a yoga teacher training. My friend was working KY at the studio and was like, hey, they have this scholarship. So I ended up applying um, and I got it and I ended up going through the teacher training. I had never been to the studio or practiced at the studio, which I highly don't recommend for anybody. It, please go take the teacher training or please go like experience the studio and the culture first before you embark on a teacher training. That was not my path as is true of my life, very non-conventional. Um, and so I didn't know what to expect. I had no idea what I was walking into. And it was one of the most transformational experiences of my life to this day. Um, I truly broke open and it was, it was almost difficult to complete. And I, I finished, you know, I, I, when I commit, commit for real to something, I get it done. And I was really considering not coming back after the break. Cause it was calling upon so much of me internally. Um, but I did. I finished. I graduated. And I just had this sense and this feeling like, OK, I want to do something with this. Like, this is this is it. I, I got to share this with other people. And I started, of course, I was the only black person in my uh, teacher training, you know, led by white women. The studio was white owned. There wasn't really many people of color in the space. So I did get curious. You know, um, I think as a person of color, as a black woman, you in the U.S., you get you get accustomed to being the only, and it just becomes like normal. But I think for me, at the point where I started to really realize the importance of my presence as a teacher, as I started to teach, was um, a particular day when I was teaching at uh, the fitness center at a local university. I started teaching there, and um, three black women that were in the class came to like waited to talk to me afterwards, and were just like we didn't like, we didn't expect that you were going to be the teacher. And it was like, I, I realized in that moment how powerful and how important me being at the front of that room was. And it was like, I mean, a spark hit it was like, okay, what else can I do? Where can I go teach? Like I need to do more, you know, and I've always kind of had a revolutionary spirit. My dad named me after Angela Davis. If you don't know who that is, you can definitely go do your research. One of the greatest revolutionaries and living legends of our time. Um, and so, um, you know, I have that fight in me and that desire for rights and all that type of stuff. So, um, slow, slowly and surely after that, probably within a year of that Afro yoga kind of dropped in to my mind, um, while I was sitting in my kitchen nook thinking, brainstorming and thinking about ideas. And it was just like, boop, Afro yoga. And I was like, oh my God, that's it. And I just, my, I just, I didn't know it would become all of the things that it is today, but I got this overwhelming feeling of it being something incredibly expansive. 
I just felt like the wideness of it. I, I don't know if, how to put that into words, but um, so I held the first Afro yoga class at the park. I put up a Facebook flyer, Facebook event, and uh, over 60 women of color showed up that day in the park. And I was like, wow, okay, we're here. We want this. Um, but who, no one's invited us to show up. And, and so at that point, I knew for real, like, all right, you're on to something. This is for real. Let's get to work. Ooh, so many little gems there. <laughs> Your story is incredible. Like, Thank you. It really is. Um, gosh. Well, first of all, I have to say, I'm not sure that I've ever talked to anyone who it has failed out of yoga. <laughs> <laughs> yes. First time. Yes, I know. <laughs> so good. So good. Um, and I love that you're like, no, no, no. I, I, I ended up passing. No big deal. <laughs> but just how that experience kind of, you probably didn't even realize it at the time, but the kind of seeds from that class mm -hmm. kind of have informed you and your experiences and your decisions and all of the things that you've been bringing into the world with Afro yoga kind of started there and it's mm -hmm. just rippled out. It's so cool. Super. Yeah. Super it's super funny. Super funny. One thing I'll add to, um, to round the story out because this was something really powerful that happened in uh, February, 2020, right before the pandemic. Um, I got certified to become a comedic yoga teacher and, um, we can talk more about what that is and the importance of it. But, um, I found out during that teacher training, when my instructor was telling us about our lineage, that the, the top of my lineage is Paramahansa Yogananda. And I was like, holy shit. Okay. Like I'm right where I need to be. This is exactly what it's supposed to be like it was a very powerful moment. So to bring the story full circle, I was like, okay, I see you. I see you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Mm -hmm. I'll, that's another first on the show. <laughs> that's like, oh my gosh. Like you don't, you can't ignore those. Those are not coincidences. It's impossible not at all. to ignore that. That's just incredible. So, okay. I want to hear more about comedic yoga and yeah. And, and kind of how, how that all kind of became a part of your path and how is it, how it's informed your business. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So I can't remember the exact time when I first heard about comedic yoga, but I know it was at least a couple of years prior to my certification. Um, somehow I came across it. So just for the base, edu base education, let's get into some definitions. <laughs> so, Hey, we all got to know what we're talking about for us let's to communicate, go. right? Yeah. 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 I like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> So Kemet is the original name for Egypt. Egypt is the name that the Greeks gave it when they came. So when we reclaim, you know, we, our history, our stolen history, and um, we say Kemet, right? So Kemetic yoga is, is of origin in ancient Africa, ancient Kemet, Egypt specifically, as you know it. Um, yoga is a, is a Sanskrit word, yes. Um, that means to yoga to unite, the concept of union, right? In comedic yoga, we call it smai tawi. Smai tawi um, is, means essentially two lands. So when we look at ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet, there is upper and lower Kemet, right? Um, and upper Kemet was actually on the lower part geographically because the Nile River flows from the south to the north. So um, upper and lower Kemet and smai tawi, these two lands, 
represents the unification of the lower and the higher self. So it is about this concept of union. Um, and is that not what the practice of yoga is about, right? It's understanding that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience. It is about the spirituality and the spiritual essence and things that we can connect to while we're in our physical practice, right? Or beyond. So it is really this understanding that we are multidimensional um, and that we are in union with all of these aspects of ourselves, that we can unionize all these aspects of ourselves. Um, so that's just for base understanding. So Kemetic yoga kind of came about in the, in the 60s, 70s. Um, and if you think about what was happening in that time, we're talking about the civil rights movement, we're talking about uh, the black power movement, which was not an anti-white movement, it was a pro-black movement. And that was key and important because we, um, you know, this country has done a good job of, about, of, of bringing us to the place of trying to have us not feel good about ourselves, right, as black people. Um, and there's a multitude of oppressive systems that exist to reinforce those narratives. Um, so the black power movement was about, and we know it in the, if you've heard the James Brown, James Brown song, say it loud, I'm black and I'm proud. It was about instilling a sense of dignity, instilling a sense of pride in being black. And there was a lot of Afrocentric movements that were happening at this time. Um, you know, of uh, people who were thinking about going back to the motherland, which is happening a lot now, return to Ghana, 2020, you know, summer, summertime, all that stuff is, is happening now. But people were in that mind frame then as well. And, and realizing that our history as Black people does not start as slaves in America. It starts thousands, thousands, not hundreds or tens, there's thousands of years prior to that experience. And we come from a rich history of a variety of experiences in Africa. So to give you kind of the context of like, what is the ambiance of what's happening at that time? And your Sarah Rahotep, who is the master instructor of Kemetic Yoga, the main, one of the main pioneers of the practice, um, was going to Kemet and visiting Kemet um, and recognizing as he was observing that, holy shit, these are yoga poses on these walls, right? And like noticing like, you know, like in the temple of Abu Simbel where there's those four big statues that are seated, like a seated meditation, you know? So, and we know how spiritual ancient Kemetic people were. I mean, they spent damn near their whole life preparing for the afterlife, super connected with the cosmos, right? All, we've been about this. So it's not a surprise that there was some type of movement system involved, um, spiritual system like yoga. So what's true, and this is where, where people will try to shoot holes through, through this argument or through the, the, um, the validity of this practice is that, well, you know, where the, where the sacred texts and these are just posh, these people are just stretching and and so on, right? Like you get these arguments, and you get them from Indian people as well, which is which is something that I came across, and it's it's unfortunate. Some, not all, um, <clears throat> and so um, the modern practice of comedic yoga comes about through research, through awareness, through observation, through translation, through transcribing. Um, and through really paying very close attention to what our ancestors laid out um, and using common sense to fill in the gaps because so much of our history has been stolen 
burned. I, I say this all the time. Like I often think about what kind of information could have been at the Library of Alexandria, for example, about this that was burned down by the Romans, right? Um, <clears throat> so, and, and so much that was just wisdom and things that were stolen. <laughs> we still don't know, you know, where some of this stuff is. So <clears throat> um, we don't have the same luxury of having our ancient texts and knowledge in books that we can reference um, because of what has happened in the nature of the history in those parts of the world and colonialism. So um, the comedic yoga practice was sort of pieced together, which is the reality for, for us in our history so many of us as Black Americans don't even know where we come from in Africa, right? There's so much broken and lost history that we've had to piece together. And I think another piece is just that, you know, um, a lot of our history and the way that we pass it down is orally as well. So, and it's not just for African cultures, Native American cultures, Asian cultures, you know, there's many, many, many cultures that, that pass tradition and history through story and storytelling. So all that to kind of say that this practice, um, is is pieced together in a sense and your Sarah kind of was looking at these postures and looking at these things and tapping in and figuring out and trying to figure out okay well what would make the most sense coming from this posture to this posture based on what i see here right and so he has put together a beautiful practice um and i i think i would be lying if i said that some of it wasn't in some way informed uh through his practice of indian yoga because that's where it started right like you see the flows and this and that so i think there's some inspiration there and just thinking about how things come together and flows and sequencing. Um, but the, there's postures in Kemet that are not in India and there's Indian postures that are in Kemet. So there is, we know that there, that there's validity to this practice in, in, and that it stands on its own two feet. So um, yeah, that's a little bit more about Kemetic yoga. Mm, that's so interesting. And, and this is, um, you know, kind of my first introduction to Kemetic yoga and I, um, I, I like that you said that, you know, there's, there's some questions about validity because I feel like that's, um, a unfortunate because that, that comes in a, in a lot of ways throughout practices of yoga, you know, different traditions. Um, mm -hmm. it's, un it's unfortunate that it continues. Um, and I, I, I honestly find it silly because, you know, there, have you heard of what's called the, the pizza effect? Where, okay, so the con, and I'm, I might be butchering it. So if you're listening out there and you can explain it better than me, please DM me. Um, but the, so the pizza effect is kind of how, um, uh, you know, in, in a yogic sense, you know, we see mm. the rise of hot yoga in the US as an example. Mm -hmm. And now the, the pizza is also being made in India because they're starting to have hot yoga studios being built in. Oh, wow. In, yeah, so it's kind of like we're, we're kind of cross- um, informing each other as mm. we, we make things. So I think, and I think the, the, mm. actual, um, the actual, uh, the root of that, um, synonym is, you know, from, you know, pizza in Italy being come made here and then pizza is now made in Italy. It's just, it's kind of how they kind of cross pollinate and inform each other. So, yes, you know, kind of, I, I hate how we had to point fingers in each direction. I was like, no, this is the true yoga. No, that's the true yoga. Yes. You know, it's all a cross-pollinization and, 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 and informing one another. And if we're all supporting each other, if we're getting uh -huh. clear with ourselves, we're moving our bodies and, and coming back to, you know, you know, humans that we want to be around, 
Like, right. It's all the better, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, you would, you know, you would think, you would think that, that people would have that mentality of like, good for you, you know, yeah. but, I, but there is so much around wanting to claim um, you know, and, and honestly, I will say when I, part of when I first started this, I was like, no, yoga started in Africa. And I, and there is a part of me that does believe that, but there's not hard evidence or proof. But what I came to, to the realization of later is like, it doesn't matter me first. It's me too. Right. Me also, I also contributed to this and to add a little bit more context too, um, you know, um, thinking about what was happening in ancient Kemet in those days, in that time the the migration and you know you're right at the port port of alexandria right in the heart of the, you know right there in the mediterranean and you have the land bridge into saudi arabia into the orient silk roads all kinds of trade happening right uh people going by ship um through the dead sea and the strait of uh, what is that strait between the the um in the, the mediterranean sea and the red sea i can't think of it at the moment but um if you know, yeah, we'll, yeah, DM us. Know. <laughs> yeah, let us know because we missed the mark right now. But, uh, but I, I think about those times and think about how much trade and how much movement was happening. And if it took you three months to get somewhere, you better believe people probably were kicking it for a minute, right? And like staying and immersed, immersed in in culture and and especially in a big port city. There's a, a so much d- dynamic cultural exchange happening in those regions and so I think a lot about that um and that and that there is a group from uh from Kemet that they say the ancient Dravidians that migrated from um out of Africa through certain parts of India that they think also could be part of the people who carried some of those traditions some of those yogic traditions um so yeah nothing is new under the sun right like (laughs) all rivers lead to the same ocean so I think it's important to remember that but also to honor its existence and and a lot of yoga there's so many yoga practitioners that don't don't have a clue what comedic yoga is and many yoga studios also who don't teach anything about comedic yoga and i've had you know um black women or black folks share with me that they've been in a teacher training and they didn't say jack shit about comedic yoga when it was brought up there was you know so I, for me, part of my work and mission is to to expand the awareness around around this, and so that people know and understand. You know, comedic yoga is very much true to the origins of yoga and the origins of the ancient sages in India, which is about the spiritual aspect. It's not about abs. It's not about a handstand. It's not about contorting yourself. It's about and and if those things help you connect deeper into yourself fantastic but I still can't nail a handstand and I don't give a shit about that (laughs) at all um (laughs) yeah you know what I mean I really don't care and it it you have to ask yourself is this performative or is this really about me feeling more connected to myself as a result of, of 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 practicing in this way um so comedic yoga is very slow it's meditative it's really my teaching style is about getting people really into themselves and really inside of the experience of their practices, the way that I was taught. And it is, I think, what is the true desire of the of the origins, the origin point of yoga and, and the, the reasons why it first started. It was about the spiritual connection. It was not about a six pack, you know, 
or a hundred or hundred dollar yoga pants. <laughs> Thanks for saying that. I, I haven't <laughs> seen any of uh, either six packs or, uh, you know, brand name yoga leggings with matching tops. Uh, I haven't seen any of that in any of those texts either. So <laughs> you know what I mean? So yeah. And those headstands and stuff, they were, it was about circulation, right? It's, it's about circulation. It's about um, bringing oxygen or blood into the brain or whatever specific things that they were doing that for drawing energy towards the crown chakra, et cetera. Those things were done with a lot of intention, not just, oh, I'm just going to hop in a handstand and stay here for however long just because it, it looks cool, you know, like, <sighs> I could go on and on about that. So let's just move <laughs> to, the next, <laughs> to the next topic. I know. I think we, maybe we'd have to have another episode about this. It sounds like something I want to talk about too. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, it's good stuff. So, okay. So we, you know, I, li- I like kind of how we segued here because we're, you know, we've taught, we've talked about um, your story. You've talked about the origin of your practice and how your teaching has been informed through kinetic yoga and how we're not hearing about these practices, how we, you know, people that, you know, people that I know in my own personal experience and teacher trainings, I have never heard anything about kinetic yoga. Um, mm-hmm. So how do we make these spaces, these teacher trainings, these offerings more inclusive? How do we create space for these conversations and this knowledge to be shared? What do you offer for us on that today? Yeah. um, I think that number one is, is go to the source. Um, I always find it. I think that there's, there's a, there's validity to to white folks informing themselves and leading information about the things that they learn. However, just hire the person <laughs> straight up, like find a person who knows and understands comedic yoga and bring them in on the hours of your teacher training. You know, I just finished a, my first co-facilitation in a yoga teacher training a couple weeks ago. Um, which was very exciting. Yes. I was like, wow, this is so cool. That's awesome. Um, yeah, it was it was a great experience. Um, led by a black woman, and she brought several different instructors, several different people who are professionals or ex- expertise in their own field. So I taught about comedic yoga and I taught about the business of yoga, which are two of my wheelhouses. So I think go find people who are experts in their wheelhouse and bring them in and allow them to, you know, bring them into the space and let them teach from their expertise and experience. I think that's number one, you know, you got to bring people in. Um, And just, I think even before you do that, just having the open mind and the awareness and just, okay, this is something different. This is something, you know, because it is something different and it can be, um, it can be uncomfortable to bring certain things that haven't been brought forward before, right? Like, and be the first person to do that. But we need people who are willing to step outside of their comfort zone if we're gonna see change, you know, in any aspect of life. So like, do you prefer your own comfort or do you prefer like advancement? (laughs) That's the real 
Um, so I think that's really important. Find, find the people, you know, I come in on, on teacher trainings and teach, I'd be more than happy to do so. There's many other instructors are, you know, the master instructor, uh, your Sarah Rahotep is somebody you can also reach out to. Um, he came to Sacramento to do the teacher training here because I organized the group. All I did was ask him. He's very open. Um, and he's very knowledgeable. So, you know, like go to the source and get it from the source um, in hiring people, right? We're also not talking about just like, have somebody on your team who's a black woman, like do some research and then go like, no, please don't do that. <laughs> please don't do that. And I think just in general to add this, like if you have somebody of color on your team that you think can add or bring something to a predominantly white space or organization, like don't assume that they have the desire to do that, that they are um, obligated to be the spokesperson for an entire race. Um, not cool, not appropriate, not something that you should expect. Um, and you damn sure better be paying them if they do agree. So, and well. <laughs> so those are just some additional tidbits to add to that. Yeah, I, it's honestly, they're a, those are amazing tidbits. And I, I love, there's been a lot of terrible things about the pandemic, but I just love how a, these conversations are happening more frequently that I get mm -hmm. to meet somebody like you and, and, you know, the dozens or hundreds of people that are going to listen to this, get to get exposed to someone like you and mm -hmm the incredible network I'm sure that you have. So it's like, if Angie can't come in and teach, maybe she knows somebody who can. So that I, I, just, I love, I love this conversation. And at the same time, I'm so sad that you just had to say some of those things. <laughs> like, it's you know, the reality, man, you know, is. like, and it's still happening, you know, um, because I, I do understand that you don't know what you don't know until you know it. Um, so there is that, you know, but there's just some, there's too much information out there in the world, especially after what happened in 2020 and so many black women specifically um, leading platforms specifically around anti-racism and understanding X, Y, Z things. And also specific content to the wellness industry that came out. I mean, the shit is out there. <laughs> you can't, if you go looking for it, you can't miss it. So don't, don't, you know, instead of just turning to your right and asking the person right next to you because it's convenient and easy, um, why don't you take the, the extra effort and energy to figure some shit out on your own, become, get informed or have some awareness around some things first, and then, you know, have a conversation. Um, because, you know, there can be harm and done in the process. And that's what we're trying to avoid, right? We want to avoid causing harm. It's literally the number one thing. The first, absolute first step of an eightfold path starts with that nonviolence and the yama, you know, and non-harmfulness. So to lead, what does it look like to lead a non-harmful existence? And how do we, how do we do that and care for the people who have been the most harmed um, by, by trying to educate ourselves and making sure that we're going about shit the right way you know, before approaching or taking whatever steps. So I think that that's really important. Do your own self-inquiry. And, and you know, I wrote an article about this called Ghosted by Allies that went in on Medium. And it was, you know, I was, we were all waiting for the drop off. Okay, they're going to be all into these books and shit for the first three, six months while they feel guilty. And then what? Where are you now? Are you still doing that work? 
personally, but as a question, like, are white women still doing anti-racism work in their daily life? Or is this something that you now forgot about because it's no longer a trending hashtag? So, I mean, it was so weird to experience anti-racism being a social media trend. <laughs> the, yeah. One of the most awkward things I have, I think we've all ever experienced and we all knew where it was going, but it was just like, this is so weird. Like, great, these conversations are happening, but also like, this is not a fucking trend. You know, this is a reality that we live with. So um, I'm going off a little bit, little bit on a tangent there, but it's good. Yeah. It is what it is. Yeah, it's it's good. It's good to talk about. It's good to, I think it's good to talk about even the weirdness of it. Like I, so I, it is. I can only imagine like how how strange that must have felt. It's like we're not a hashtag, <laughs> y'all. Like, come on, we're not a hashtag, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's a hashtag. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. So you know. That's my thing is like, where's the, where's the, if you're, if you still today are a person in the wellness industry and your classes are still predominantly white, the studios you teach in are still predominantly white, the practitioners that show up are predominantly white, the owners of your studio, or if you are an owner, your, your high level management is predominantly white. You got some questions to ask yourself and you have work to do because it's easy to allow things to just stay the way that they are um and to be comfortable in that you know and and we are homogenous people in a sense like we do gravitate towards the things that are similar i think that's part of human nature but so it so it takes a little bit of extra effort to go outside of that you know and we can talk about that but i think that you know if you are a person, um, if you're a white person out there and you're listening and you find that your circles are mostly white, go into, go, go put yourself in places where there's, there's more diverse atmospheres. Um, go to a yoga, a yoga class led by someone of color as a, as a fucking easy start, <laughs> go support what we're doing, you know? And then look into, and that's, and that's the first step, just put yourself in the environment because I think it's Brene Brown, um, my, my ally friend, Corey, she's, she always says that white women love to quote Brene Brown. I think it's so funny, but, but okay. I'm raising See, I'm my hand over here. <laughs> but she's got some good stuff, right? Yeah. She's um, and she, I think she said something about like, you can't hate up close. And I think that part of that, gap right in is just the familiarity you know like when you are up close with us and you know you're in a class with us or in whatever space with us and we're laughing and we're joking and we're with our families or we're with our friends or we're you know we're human beings just like you we eat shit breathe sleep just the same way you do laugh cry joke just the same way you do um, so I think being able to put yourself in environments where you can expose yourself and be around humanizes um, us, you know, not, not necessarily, not, not saying that we're starting from a place of being dehumanized, but I think that through life experiences, you know, um, we're all fed a narrative and a way of thinking and seeing things from our parents, from media, et cetera, 
So we have to actively combat those things if, if, we're, if we really want to change and if we really want to see the reality of how do we really think and feel and where does that come from? Um, so putting ourselves in, in spaces, in different spaces can help to expand our awareness, show us our prejudices or our um, judgments, you know, and that can help us grow as human beings, you know, develop real relationships. This is something that I thought was really important too, not only in 2020, but now like, I tell people, because I've done racial equity and community building trainings. I did I did those for the entire Lululemon leadership throughout the state of California um, and internationally with their with their ambassador lead teams. Um, you know, we talked about like forge genuine relationships. Like, don't reach out to me if you don't if you don't if you're into hockey, go go reach out to somebody, another human being that's of color that enjoys hockey you know what I mean don't like for <laughs> don't just reach out to any black person or any person of color right like someone who genuinely has some interest with you right so that you can build a relationship upon humanness and not color if that makes sense um so I think that those things are important too just like find some common you know you're like oh you know what this is so cool like I, I love this too or whatever like build that relationship, go into the places, have the conversations and don't expect anybody to teach you or to save you from it. You got to save yourself. That's powerful. That's really powerful stuff. Thank you for sharing all of that. You're welcome. Yeah. Um, and it, this is, uh, you know, as teachers and you know, people in the wellness space, we're always cultivating awareness Within, mm-hmm. our, within our practice. And, and that's, you know, I think why we're all here. <laughs> so yeah. taking that and as a part of our, you know, the, you know, the people that are on either side of us as we're, you know, in practice or the people that we sit and have tea with after the forging real relationships with people, not because of the color of their skin, but the actual genuine connections that we seek in the humanness, as you said, I think that's really, mm-hmm. really beautiful. Yes, absolutely. And there is a combination because we are wanting to diversify. So yes, we are looking at color and we can't erase that because the moment that we are like, oh, I don't see color, like, okay, well, you're just erasing people and you're erasing people's experiences. So that's not the key. Yes, look for people of color to forge relationships with, but also look for genuine connections with those people of color. And I think you totally under, under, like captured that, but I just wanted to re-emphasize that. that yeah. Part. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for putting a fine point on that because it's, it's a really important distinction between the two for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Really definitely. Yeah. Okay. So I kind of want to flip, flip to the other side of the coin here. So for wellness professionals and teachers of color who are listening, mm-hmm. how do they carve out a path for themselves? How do they thrive beyond that path? Like how are they really going to make this a thing for themselves as they're building their mm-hmm. businesses? And, you know, how, how do they, how do they make their businesses what they should be and like beyond the tr- traditional wellness or studio spaces? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, I, <laughs> I have been anti-establishment in a, in a sense, um, because yoga studios to me haven't done what is needed in the wellness industry by and large like y'all have not really stepped up to the plate overall and changed the culture of the of yoga studios so to me what i teach my mentees and what i've always been about is going beyond the studio 
And to be honest, I, I stand by that. Until yoga studios really do the work and I go into a studio and I see a diverse set of practitioners and different teachers and different yoga styles and that, you know, leadership is not just that you have a person of color at your KY, but like that they're actually making some type of decisions or like, I need to see that level of integration and leadership um, and diversity for me to really trust. And until I see that across, sweepingly across, a, across studios as a general, as like, this is the new standard, um, I won't have trust in those spaces. And I don't. Um, so for me, if you're a yoga teacher of color, my recommendation is to go outside of the studio, um, unfortunately. And I do, there is a lot of things about studio culture that I love. I think that a beautiful community can be built. There's nothing quite like being in a room full of people breathing together and a yoga teacher who's just talking that talk and the playlist is hitting right. And it just, you're sweating and it's, ah, it's everything. That's unmatched. Um, however, you know, if you don't feel safe enough to really unravel in those spaces because of what's what's present there, it's kind of self-defeating. So um, if you're a yoga teacher of color, what I always teach is go beyond the studio. And I think what's true for us is that we um, are, are interested in serving our own communities. And the yoga studio mm, philosophy has come to us, whereas we are more, we go to the people. Um, and I think that that's really important because a lot of communities of color don't have yoga studios or studio spaces in their area. And if they do, they may not be economically accessible, um, so on, and these other factors that we've already discussed, right? So, um, and I do know that some yoga studios offer like community classes that they take out to the parks, but like, where are you going? Like what, one block from where your studio is or are you really like, you know what I'm saying? So yeah, <laughs> yeah cause I'm literally, I live by a studio and their, their class is like literally the park next door. So, you know, it's, do you put in the effort to really um, reach the people that, that truly need it, right? It's not a luxury for us. It's, it's really a matter of like a necessity for, for us. And that's a whole other conversation. But anyway, going back to the lecture at hand, um, I think the big thing is always clarity and being clear for any entrepreneur, not just an entrepreneur of color. Who are you? What do you want to do? Who do you want to serve? And most importantly, why? Your why is everything in business. Um, it is what keeps you fueled for all of the challenges that are up ahead of you. Um, your why has to be super strong, you know, and it has to be something that is beyond you. That's key. Um, I think truly successful businesses really want to create change and impact right entrepreneurship at the core any entrepreneur any real entrepreneur that's had long-term success solves a problem so you need to understand as an entrepreneur what problem are you solving and you need to be able to articulate that and then your offerings what you offer in terms of how you generate income those are the solutions to the problem that you solve so I think it's really important to think about it in that way because, um, you know, and, and, and I will also say yoga teacher trainings do not equip uh, teachers with business knowledge by and large. I was like, I had so many questions about business afterwards and I even pitched like a business thing that I wanted to do with 
the studio and they kind of like whatever didn't really pay me no mind. So I ended up doing it on my own some years later, but you know, I get that the teacher training is really about creating great teachers and that's, that's the priority, like making sure, you know, the anatomy, all that stuff, keeping people safe. Great. But there needs to be business education of some sort, especially today, or you're doing a huge disservice, especially because yoga studios now are fewer. There are fewer teachers on the roster. There are fewer classes happening. And we already know like yoga teachers of color are not getting the same amount of opportunities. So, you know, not teaching them anything. And again, this is where hire and bring somebody in. You know, you can hire me. You can re- look for whoever that that does education around this stuff and bring them on to your trainings or into your studio to do a workshop or whatever. Um, I think is really important. So, um, you come out of teacher training and you're like, okay, I want to go teach yoga. But then you're like teaching free yoga all the time because you're like wanting to be of service and you know, every <laughs> you're not charging anybody for anything. And the per- the people at your job at your nine to five now find out you're a yoga teacher and they got you teaching yoga for free at the corporation. And it's like, no, no, no. But if you don't have the business savvy or the understanding, then you don't realize that how to per- how to present yourself as a business. And I think one of the biggest key shifts for me was from the, the mindset of an employee as a yoga teacher to them to the mindset of a CEO as a business owner. Mm. That is huge yeah. in transformation of your mindset um, and how you approach things. So those are some key points that I would say are really important. There's so much more to go into. But having the clarity, who do you want to serve? Why do you want to serve them? What problem are you solving? And how can you develop offers around that? And I think one more piece that I'll add to this um, is today, there's so many yoga teachers out in the world and so many people got certified and they're in the panty. And I mean, there's an abundance. And like, also for yoga teachers of color, we're not the, the few and the mighty anymore. We are the many. There is a lot of yoga teachers of color and it keeps happening more and more and we're all wanting to serve our communities. So what is going to differentiate you? You have to get niche. At this point, you have to get niche. You know, I, I have my lane in comedic yoga. I have my lane in entrepreneurship or specifically, you know, yoga teachers of color or wellness professionals of color, those are my lanes. I'm very clear. Um, And when people approach and see my brand, that is also very clear to them. So this is important. You have to find, fine tune and get really, really clear. Okay, you want to teach yoga to communities of color. Okay, well, do you want to teach veterans? Do you want to teach female veterans? Do you want to teach uh, senior citizens? Do you want to teach young kids? Do you want to teach at the prison? Like you got to get to that level of, of clear of specificity so that you can dominate in that lane. And contrary to what people may think, the narrower you get in your niche, the wider the amount of opportunities that you have. If you go wide, you will bottleneck your opportunities. Isn't that funny? You would think it's it the is. opposite, right? It's so, it's so odd, but you nailed it. I think the, um, someone said this, it wasn't me, but someone said, um, when you speak to everyone, you speak to no one. And I think that just 
is exactly what you had to say about the the niche. So yeah, that's excellent advice. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, the quicker that somebody can identify themselves as the person you are speaking to, the quicker that you, you generate income, <laughs> the yeah. quicker that you make a sale. When somebody can raise their hand and say, oh, yep, that's me. That's exactly for me. This is exactly what I've been looking for. The quicker that the money drops into your account. And of course, there's more strategy. It, it you know, content, social media is a beast. And, you know, we, we get lost in it because we're not clear. <laughs> we don't understand that okay, my audience, my message, what is my message to that, to my audience? You know, who is my villain? Who am I fighting against? What is this all about? Um, and then what are the problems that my community is having? How can I articulate that? How do I present solutions? And then how do I build content around what those problems and solutions are to build credibility, to position myself as an expert and to sell my offerings because people trust me. Those things are all... <laughs> you know, things that you have to also get aware of and, and understand. But once you do, creating content becomes so much easier because you know exactly who you're talking to, you know exactly what you're saying to them, you know what they're going through and experiencing that they need to hear. Um, and you know what you need to articulate to them in order to have them trust you so that you can sell your offer, which is the solution to their problem. And it's hard to believe there's just so much when it comes to marketing yourself as a teacher and you get like one hour of business and you're 200 hour. <laughs> yeah, just post the flyer. And I'm like, y'all, because you just putting up the flyer telling people what time to show up is not going to do it, honey. Yeah, it's teach you. for free. Give it away. Like that's, oh. yeah. Free with the strategy is what I always say. I don't do yeah. free, but I but I do free with a strategy only. So if you're doing shit for free, do it with a strategy. And I will say this um, as a as a, a little tip: if you have family friends who are like you know you graduated or you you know whatever you're you're still kind of teaching to your your friends and family circle, if you have people who are asking you for free yoga and stuff, set a specific day or days and times in the month these two days at these times i'm going to teach for free if you want to show up to these classes set some boundaries around your offer around your time with your friends and family if you don't want to charge them cool no problem hey these are the times if they really want to show up if they really want that yoga then they will show up at those times and respect that so that's a good tip to be able to have some 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 boundaries with your peeps but still not feel guilty about like, well, you know, it's my family. I don't want to charge them this, that. Well, you know, this is the time that you can come then. Yeah. yeah but I hope, hope to see you there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yeah. excellent. Yeah, that's excellent. I, I love that too. Cause then you, you're, we're all in the practice of creating boundaries and setting boundaries and sticking to boundaries. So you're going to learn early if you start doing it that way, you know, with your free offerings. So that, that's a great tip. Yeah. 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 You don't want to get caught in, in the, having the reputation for being the person that, that, that does the free yoga. You don't want that. Trust me. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It's really easy to get there. <laughs> so easy, <laughs> you know, and you do have to practice yourself out of being new. I'll also say this, this is, this is actually, I've always been a hustler, but in the way that we had our yoga teacher training, we had a week of like eight to five, whatever. And then we had a month break practice, whatever. And then we had another break. 
I really had the nerve during that month break. I was teaching classes at the park, you know, our practice hours. I really had the nerve to be like, okay, first one free. And then the next one is like $10 drop-in. Like, hey, I had awareness even at that point that I'm offering something of value here. And I deserve to be paid for it. I may not be certified, but I know what I'm teaching over here. And I know you're getting some out of it. So what do I look like just giving free yoga all the time? And you know, it's different if you have something like a nonprofit, right? Like I have one of my mentees is the president of a nonprofit and their work is to provide free yoga classes around the city. And I do, t- I've taught multiple times for them because I believe in the mission. I believe in the work. I understand what they're doing, but there's still finances behind that, right? You know, but there is a, a mission specifically of like wanting to bring free yoga to the community and make it accessible and having multiple different places and diversifying it. So that's different. Right. Like we also need to understand like, okay, again, if it's free, is there a strategy? Is there a mission? But also like you need to be compensated for your time. Think about how much money and time and energy and like emotion and all of that shit that you put into going through a yoga teacher training and graduating. Do you not, does a doctor go through all their training and be like, oh yeah, I can, I can do surgery for free. No worries. Like No, everybody puts in time and energy into learning a skill or a craft and then they get paid for their expertise. You are no different, right? You've spent the time, the energy, even in your, maybe some people have been practicing years before they even get their teacher training, right? What about all those years of of your own personal practice that inform your expertise and your ability to teach others? Or maybe you you are a school teacher or somebody who's in the education system. Does that that ability to teach not translate into how you show up in a yoga class. Like you have experience and you are worthy of being paid for that experience is an exchange of energy. Um, That's all money really is. You know what I mean? So I think that people need to need to really stand in their worth in that. Um, You spent money to, to learn the skills that you have. You deserve to be compensated. Yeah. And what I have found is that your community wants to support you. People want to support mm-hmm. you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think there's no faster way to burn out than just <clears throat> continuing to teach for free. Your bills are not paid. Then you have to scramble and then there's no more yoga. Like that's, that's the quickest way to stop teaching. If you want to go that yes. direction, <laughs> you'll figure it out. If pretty that's, uh, yeah. Right. If that's the track you want to get on, you know exactly how to get there. Yeah. <laughs> So yeah, I love that. I think we need to normalize teachers receiving energy in the form of money so their bills are paid and then some. Like this, yeah, exactly. this starving artist mentality that we have that's, you know, I think it comes from a good place. Like mm. we we have really big hearts. We want people to have these transformational experiences that we've had. But mm-hmm. like th- we we gotta pay, we live in a a like culture where, you know, there was money exchanged. It <laughs> just, just is what it is. So it's like, I love, I love that you're carrying the torch for that. Cause it's so important. It is really, it is very important. And I, and I will say like, you know, this is also where the power of diversifying your offerings, even, you know, even over the course of time, it becomes important because I still teach um, donation-based classes. I, I took the last couple months of the year off, but twice a month, I still teach free, like, technically free, but donation-based, I never say free, but donation-based classes twice a month um, online because it's how we started. And it's something that I want to be part of the brand like forever and ever. So 
um, I didn't lose those roots. I started with donation-based classes and it's something that I wanted to keep because people may pay $20, $50 or people may pay $1 depending on where they're at, but at least they can come and they can show up. Right. So, but I have other offerings that allow me to be able to do that or other, other streams of income that allow me to be able to do that. So whether it's a nine to five or whether it's, you know, I do retreats, I have corporate corporate stuff and trainings that I do. I have, you know, mentorship programs, et cetera, all kinds of different things that um, we just started selling our yoga mats, which is our Ma'at yoga mats from Kometic Yoga, which is so, so exciting. Um, so, you know, having a diverse, diverse streams of income is also important because it allows you to, to give back to the community in other ways, right? Like if, if, if donation-based classes was the only way I was making a living, first of all, I would be on the street, but <laughs> you know, I wouldn't be able to do that and to actually do it. I don't even expect anything. I'm like, Oh, cool. People sent me money. That's awesome. But I don't do it. I do it really from the place of love, but I can afford to do that because I have these other things going. And again, I don't advertise it as a free class. I advertise it as a donation based class, which I still think is really important. Yeah. There's definitely a distinction. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah. Okay. So I have to ask you this, Angie, because this is one of my favorite questions to ask guests. And I, oh. I just know that it's going to be so good, which you have to offer. So, okay. If you could go back to any mm. previous version of Angie and whisper a little something into her ear to say uh, something that would save you a sleepless night or two or mm. 10, <laughs> something that would uh, just kind of bolster yourself up a little bit, what would it be? Hmm. Wow. That's a good one. I'm thinking, as you said, previous versions of Angie that really put me in that space of thinking about the different eras. Um, hmm. I think there would be a couple of things. Um, one, don't take yourself or life too seriously um, and have fun. And then another thing I would probably say is um, organize yourself. <laughs> I used to hate like the idea of like discipline and routines and blah. as an Aquarian, I'm just naturally rebellious. So I just hate all the thing, all things that feel like authority. Um, but I, as, as I grew in, as an entrepreneur and as, I, as my business started to grow, I had to implement structure, systems, organization, planning, even a year ahead. You know, I planned a year ahead um, and worked backwards. So that I hadn't, I, I always thought it was like being free spirit, flying by the seat of my pants, that it was like real freedom. And now I feel real freedom because I have implemented certain structure and things that have allowed me to operate more efficiently and smoothly that I actually have time to really feel free and to really do what I want to do and to have financial um, stability. So I think that, th that those two pieces are key, like plan ahead, think ahead and work backwards, organize yourself, do not shy away from discipline. It's okay if you fall off, we all do, um, but come back, you know, um, that has been life-changing 
for me mm. big time that's excellent advice yeah and it's I like how you kind of framed it too it's it's not so much um you know something that's holding you back but actually something that creates more more freedom mm-hmm Kind of like we, we talked about with the niching and the bottle effect thing where you kind of think that the opposite is true. It's like, God got a sense of humor like that. You know what I mean? Where, <laughs> Yo, wait a minute. <laughs> so yeah, you know, the discipline is actually so freeing um, and staying committed to something and really sticking to it is really, really, really powerful and so rewarding. So yeah. It's a long game too, you know what I mean? I, I have patience with yourself in the process, um, you know, and once you have something that you really, really care about and you love and you're really passionate about, put your all into it, you know? And it, I just don't think that you can ever fail when you really, really care about something and you're desirous to, to be of service to others. I think we're all here to be of service to others through our own unique whether you're a baker, an artist, an architect, a yoga teacher, I think we all offer something unique to the world. Um, and to just to really be in that space of, of being of service. And I think that that's what's allowed me to be successful and have a lot of success early in, in the game is just that how much I really care and how much I'm always thinking about with everything I do, how I can be of service or greater service to the people that, that I that I that I serve to my community. So that's really important. Yeah, that's beautiful. So tell okay. us, speaking of community, tell us yes. all the things. What do you have coming up? How can we work with you? Tell yes. us. <laughs> so yeah, you if you're interested in bringing me on for either comedic yoga education or um, business of yoga education for a yoga teacher training or for workshops. I'm always open to receiving those types of inquiries. You can just shoot me an email. Um, afroyoga.org is our website. Um, I'm sure our, our beautiful friend Jessica here will give you all the links. Oh, yes. Um, <laughs> and then um, we have a co-ed uh, comedic yoga retreat coming up in Jamaica in June. Still some spots left for that. Um, and then the mentorship program, um, I call it decolonize your teaching mentorship program. This is specifically for teachers of color. If you are looking to go beyond the studio and really understand how to build a business of your own, something that centers community, but really also being strategic and understanding how to monetize ethically and be, you know, center service. Um, the mentorship program is reopening and will begin again in March. So there's an application for that to join. Would love to have you. We're going to be coming into our 13th cohort. Well over 100 teachers graduated worldwide. Um, really awesome transformational experience and program. So all the things, all the things. <laughs> Wonderful. Perfect timing, too, as folks are hearing this. March is coming. Summer is coming, too. People making uh, very cheap plans, for sure, for 2023. So that's, that's awesome. And then I, I know you shared your website, but how can we follow you if we want to stay in touch day to day? Yeah. Um, Afro Yoga by Angie is my IG handle. Um, that's mainly where I'm at. I'm also, I'm also there on LinkedIn, slowly but surely building a TikTok. We'll see how, <laughs> how it goes. <laughs> But IG is kind of like my, my bread and butter. And then, you know, hopping on the email list is a great place to be as well. Um, please do subscribe. I send out a, a really dope monthly newsletter 
just, you know, sharing personal stuff and stories that can help all of us. Just, I try to do like a monthly theme and takeaway for everyone. Um, and then that's also where I will, I will release things first. So if we're having a new merchandise launch drop, or if we are, you know, if I'm having scholarships for the mentorship program or, you know, first spots for retreats and things like that, because I will be opening some other retreats for later in the year in early 2024. Um, the email list is like the best place to be for sure. Okay, and that's cool. something you can sign up for on the website. Okay, perfect. Perfect. Yes. And as you said, we'll definitely include all the links to the wonderful thank things yeah. that you mentioned. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Speaking of thank you, I'm so grateful. This was such a great conversation. I just loved getting to know a little bit more about you. And I feel like I learned so much at the same time. Like it was, it was such fun and I'm just so grateful that you took the time. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I I always appreciate when people are open to having these conversations um, and to just really allowing and giving space for real talk, unfiltered, uncut, straight to it. So thank you for for being open to that and for, you know, bringing this to to your community, especially if it's something that might be a little bit different from the norm. Um, you know, we all need that somebody who's going to expand, expand us and and have us become, you know, step into greater awareness. So I just appreciate your openness into that and looking forward that all of you hear this wonderful conversation and and all that good stuff. So thank you. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Likewise. All right. All right. Thanks. Love. Bye. Thank you so much, Angie. I really enjoyed that chat and we're just so grateful for your time and your incredible wisdom. And I hope that the listeners go and give you a follow because I just absolutely love you. And I'm so excited that we got to spend this time together. So you guys go give Angie a follow, learn more, get into her containers. You can find her on Instagram at Afro Yoga by Angie. And then her website is afroyoga.org. She's got all of her incredible offers, anything more that you want to learn about comedic yoga, her amazing stuff that's coming up, go give her a follow and get on her newsletter. As she mentioned, you won't be sorry. Thank you so much for coming and sitting with us today and opening your heart and your ears to listen to different perspectives and how to grow and revolutionize your yoga community. So important. So thank you so much again. Keep showing up for your business. I'll catch you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Marketing Off the Mat podcast and give yourself some gratitude for taking action in your wellness business journey. Please share this episode with someone you know who could use a fresh dose of inspiration. And we'd be thrilled if you would rate, review, and subscribe to Marketing Off the Mat on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to share an idea with Jessica? DM her at jessicacross.co on Instagram to continue the conversation or find out how she can help you take the next right step in your business. Until next time, stay inspired and keep showing up.